Well, good morning, Venture. You can say good morning back. It's good to see you today. If you're online, welcome. May I say, if you're still online, you are missing the feel of this room. I so encourage you to come back in uh, on the property, in the building for this experience. I always say that whenever we move a person in for the first time, they always say the same thing. I feel worship. I feel worship. So if you're online, uh, we'll hope that you'll make that, make that switch here pretty soon. The first Sunday of November, 1976, I know many of you were not born yet, a 23-year-old and his wife began what is today 45 years of full-time ministry in the local church. Thank you. Quite honestly, I didn't know a lot about ministry when I started. Uh, And little did I know what I would experience over these past 45 years, but let me just tell you, it is a great ride. I highly recommend full-time ministry to anybody who God has been calling. So, but here we are 45 years later. Uh, I'm a lot older. I have a lot less hair, but hopefully a lot wiser. One of the benefits of being in the ministry for 45 years is I've had a front row seat to watch changes in both American culture and the American church because we are a subset of culture. The changes I've seen in America, really, especially in the church, fall into two major categories. Over the 45 years, I've seen this. There have been some minor changes. I mean, really minor changes. There are things like worship style, church building design, the size of churches, and how the preacher dresses. I would never preach in a three-piece suit ever again in my entire life. And in the great scheme of things, these are really minor things, although for some, they're major at the moment, but they really are always changing throughout church history. But then there have been some major changes. These are the changes that actually impact how you and I understand ourselves, And how we understand this thing we call church. And that's the change I'd like for us to spend some time today looking at. Because while there are some great things happening in churches. When I started in ministry 45 years ago, I could never have imagined a complex like this. It's one of the great blessings. But there are some really serious concerns that are taking place in American churches today. And so to make a complicated issue easier to understand, as you entered in, you received one of these, uh, it says token in my script, but it's actually a poker chip. Yeah, yeah, we're handing out poker chips at church. Uh, This token that will help you understand a major change that has taken place over the past 45 years that I've been in ministry. And this major change has to do with the letter E. As you see on the front of it, what do you do with E? Now, as you know, in grammar, where you put a vowel really matters. But first, you have to remember to put the vowel in. So how many of you remember this image from earlier in the year for IU football? Can we bring up? Yes. This was a classic moment in Indiana. As the team ran out of the the tunnel in the first week, they pictured this. Does anybody understand what's going on here? What's missing? A vowel is missing. There's no A. 
which was, you know, complete embarrassment to IU fans, but Purdue fans absolutely loved every moment of it. Yeah. And how about Purdue winning last night? Was that not an amazing miracle? Yeah. And my Tennessee volunteers also beat those people from Kentucky. So, you know, this is a milestone moment for most of us here in the room today. Where we put vowels is important. First of all, you want to put them in, and then you want to make sure they're in the right place. Well, as, you, as people who follow Jesus, where we put the E becomes the lens we use to see and decide almost everything in life. So take out your token, and let's figure out where to put the E in our lives. One of the great privileges I had early in my ministry was the opportunity to meet and to know and actually serve beside what has become known as the greatest generation. That's a term that came from Tom Brokaw in his book of that same title. And the reason that they're called the greatest generation is because they're born somewhere between 1900 and 1927. So they're my parents' They're my parents' generation. And when I started in ministry, many of the leaders of the church I served in Pennsylvania were of that generation as well. As I, as I looked at that, I realized that not only were they the greatest generation of Americans, they were the, a great generation in the American church. Why were they called that? Well, they had survived the Great Depression of the 20th century. And no sooner had they done that, the many of them went off to war in World War II where they suffered, bled, and died for faith and freedom. So they've been kind of given this name, the greatest generation, and I think it's well-deserved of that generation. Probably the most iconic statement where that generation put the E came from a president who was a member of that generation. So let's listen to this short part of this very famous speech, this very important statement. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Let me be honest with you. Don't those words seem so foreign where we live right now as a secular culture? How things would be different if we had taken up that challenge Maybe our nation would be in a better place. Well, that generation of Americans put the E in we. That's the first thing they did. They put the E in we. And those who were followers of Jesus did the same thing. They put the E in we. The characteristic that made the greatest generation of Americans also made the great generation of Christians because they had a deep we view of the local church. And as I look back at that generation of Christians, I realize that they had a deep willingness to sacrifice for the we. And they had a great willingness to serve the we. In fact, many churches that exist today owe their very existence to that generation of disciples. One of those churches is where you're sitting today. In 1968, Part of the leaders who gave birth to our congregation were from that generation, the great generation. And they planted a new church in Carmel, Indiana. And it was at first called Woodland Springs Christian Church. And then that group of people moved to this location. It became known as Hazeldale Christian Church. And now we call ourselves Venture Christian Church. But hear me, we stand on the shoulders of that generation. We've showed up 
based upon their willingness to sacrifice for the we and their willingness to serve the we. And we're just very fortunate to be the current generation of we. That generation of Christians put the E in we. Just like the first generation of Christians who followed Jesus. Here is what's written about that first generation of those who followed Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we read these words. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Look at the plurality of the words being used there. God has created the church to be we. We needs to put the E in we. That's the way the first church was. It's the reason why this church today exists, because of a generation who put the E in we. Well, back in the 1970s, when I was just beginning to start in ministry, a culture war was brewing in America, and it was being waged for the hearts and the soul of Americans, and it ushered in some real radical changes that altered where the church and where culture put the E. I call this war the War of the Burgers, and it's about two corporations who are battling for market share. But more importantly, they were battling for the influence of the future of how America would understand itself. Each of those corporations, by the way, had their own war anthem. The first anthem went like this in the War of the Burgers. Two all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickle, onions, bun, and sesame seed bun. McDonald's Big Mac. Just give us the word. Two all beef patty, special sauce, cheese, lettuce, pickles, onions, on a specially beat it. Where your dollar gets a break every day. So who can do it with me? Two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Congratulations. You're going to be singing that all day long now. I've been singing it for weeks ever since I pulled that off YouTube. But oh man, I got to get this song out of my head. That, that was one of the one of the, the, the battle of the burger anthems. Listen, here's, here's the competing anthem. Hold the pickle, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us serve it your way. How many of you remember that little ditty? Yes! What you may not know is there was a battle for where Americans put the E. In the Burger King, it ended up, it was, you deserve it your way. And that started a philosophy in America that moved the E from we over to me. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, 
It was a cute jingle, but it heralded a huge culture shift from we to me. It was saying, I want what I want. I deserve to have what I want, and I want it the way I want it. And the shift from we to me is a major reason we find ourselves in the national mess we're in. So here we are 45 years later, and America has fully adopted the me lens. And since Christians live in American culture, we've also begun to adopt the me view of life. Soon, the impact of me-focused culture started to show up in the language of church people. And one of those statements that came into existence during this time was this, church shopping. People started to shop for a church the way you shop for a car or you shop for a house, or you shop for shoes, or you shop for clothes. People would go from one church to another with a list of expectations, by the way, another E word, a high list of expectations, and they would travel looking for the church that let them have it their way. I've actually met people who have been doing this process, and they've told me that they've been to 10 to 15 churches, can't find the church that does it their way. It's a radical change from the generation before that was me-focused, or we-focused, and now has become me-focused. And we shop for churches that way. Can't you almost hear? Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. Special orders, don't upset it. You can have it your way at our church. Earlier, we listened to JFK, and I think we're probably all struck by how foreign his words seem even in our generation of America. It sounds just as strange in Christian culture, quite honestly. May I paraphrase JFK's statement? Ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. Doesn't that statement sound foreign in the culture in which we live? But you see, the church is part of the culture around it. And if it's not careful, it starts to adopt and adapt the same language. Somewhere along the line, churches, like culture, started to replace where or started to place the E in me rather than where it was before in we. And let me just say before we move off this for a moment, there is a very strong biblical warning about that mentality. Probably one of the strongest biblical warnings in all of the New Testament about putting the E in me rather than the E in we. Paul wrote to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and he wrote these words, but mark this. In other words, I'm putting an explanation point here, Timothy. You don't want to miss this. He says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and unholy. Aren't you glad you don't live there? Now, I want to say a few words about that phrase, last days. Now, I, I fully understand what Paul is talking about. He's talking about in the last days of human history, this is the way life is going to be. And for a number of reasons, people always think they're in the last days. But they will definitely be terrible times. 
But you know where else I've seen this? I've seen the lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, and unholy, and the last days of a culture. Nations have folded because of this. Our nation may fold. We might experience last days because that's who we are as a culture. I've seen that be the last days of churches. Where suddenly a church is, we love ourselves. We're here for us. We don't really care about them. We're here for us. You know where else I've seen it? I've seen it in the lives of Christians that their last days following Jesus are highlighted because they've been lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, and unholy. We have to heed that warning that as Christians who follow Jesus and as a church who follows Jesus, we can't allow that to live here. We have to fight against every part of culture that wants to invade us and tell us to be like them. We have to be that redemptive community that doesn't let the E end up in me. We want to at least push it to the we. And as I'm talking about this, I want to tell you about what I've seen over the last, I would say, 20 years. There is an unsustainable tension that exists in the church today. Christians have an ever-increasing expectation of the church, while at the same time an ever-decreasing engagement in their church. We want more, but with less cost. And when you put it that way, you realize, we can't keep doing this. Something has significantly got to change. This is not a successful ministry model. This is not a successful business model. This is not a successful relationship model. There has got to be a balance between expectations and engagement for communities to be healthy. So let me give you two specific areas that I've witnessed over the last 45 years where engagement has decreased in the local church. At the beginning of my ministry, people who came to church, came to worship, for the most part, they were in worship about nine out of ten Sundays. In fact, there used to be this thing called perfect attendance in worship. Some of you remember these days. If you had perfect attendance, if you were there like 52 weeks out of 52 weeks, you got a button. And then if, in year two, if you did the same thing, you got a little bar. And then if you did year three, you got another bar. And there were some guys that had like 20 years of bars. They looked like they had been in the military. And some of them had not missed church in, in two decades. They should have. They came to church really sick, but they weren't about to miss church and ruin their perfect attendance. And I thought, man, that's weird. But over the years that I've been in ministry, you know, I, I've seen that shift. It's no longer 9 out of 10. During my ministry, I actually started to see it being 5 out of 10. The people who consider themselves active Christians would be in the worship service on a Sunday morning about half the time. Recent statistics tell us that the average self-identified active Christian now attends about 33% of the time. 
Three out of ten. And here's the warning. It's rapidly moving to 25%. We've gone from 90 to 50 to 33 to 25. And here's the thing. If you ask those people, do they enjoy going to worship? They'll tell you, absolutely, I love it. If you ask them, why are you only there like a third of the time? Because i got more important things to do. Seriously, folks? we got more important things to do than worship? And see, our culture keeps saying, do whatever you want. And we bought in. How does the church exist where there is a higher and higher expectation of the church and at the same time a lower and lower engagement in the church? Let me share with you a second area where I've seen this. The second crisis facing the local church is this, and it relates to people's willingness to volunteer and serve in the local church. One study I just recently read said that from 1974 to 2015, so approximately the years that I've been in ministry, I kind of noticed this, but somebody's kind of put a value on this now. That between 1974 and 2015, volunteerism has dropped 50%. Half of the people who served before 1974 don't typically serve in 2021. How do we have higher expectations of the church but lower engagement with the church and possibly have a church that goes into the future. This is a crisis for the American church, folks. One that we're a part of and possibly can solve during our life. See, putting the E in me is not a sustainable model for country, for church, for your marriage, for your friendships, So the greatest generation put the E in we. Our current generations are putting the E in me. But you know what? As true followers of Jesus, we are called to put the E in he. We're called to put the E in he. As followers of Christ, we're called to surrender every desire every thought, every action to Jesus Christ who is the Lord of our life. And if you don't know what Lord means, it's real simple. He's the ruler of our life. He's the master of our life. He's the boss of our life. If Jesus is Lord of your life, you have surrendered all say over what happens in your life because there's only one Lord and it has to be him. Even as I say that, I know that there's probably some tension in some people's minds who are even hearing this. Like, you got to be kidding me, David, really? First and foremost, it's got to be he? Yeah. That's what Scripture says. Let's see what Paul wrote to the church in Rome in Romans 14, verse 7. For none of us lives to himself alone. And none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. 
So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. So I've intentionally designed the back of your token today to reflect how you should be looking at life. First, you should be putting the E in he. And then you should be putting the E in we. And finally, you should be putting the E in me. Because here's what I can tell you. If you use that as you work through every decision of your life, you will be a follower of Jesus Christ. He will be Lord of your life because at the top is he. Next is we. And last is me. So let's take time to remember why as Christians we put the E in he. I'll ask you to take hold of your communion elements at this point. And as you do, Let's take another look at that passage in Romans. For this reason, Christ died. Christ died. And returned to life so that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. So if you'll open up the side of this container that holds the bread, take the bread out. Hear these words that Jesus says to his disciples. This is my body, which is broken for you. I'm your Lord. So I'll ask you to kind of look at that verse. Read it over a few times. And when you're ready to proclaim him Lord of your life, take the bread. If you peel back the lid off the cup, hear these words from Jesus. This is my blood that is shed for you. This is why I am Lord of your life. I'm Lord because I died, and I died for you. Again, take a few moments to read through that passage of Scripture. When you're ready, to make Jesus Lord of your life. Take the cup. Oh Lord, you have called us out of culture to transform culture and not to be conformed by culture. You have called us to put the E in he, to put the E in we, and finally to put the E 
in me and you rightfully deserve the right to do that because you died and you rose from the dead for us. You have earned the position of Lord over our lives. And so, Father, remind us whose we are and for whom we live and whom we serve, for who we worship, to whom we give every desire and every thought and every action, all conformed to your lordship over our lives. Father, we love you and we want your church to thrive. But we're facing difficult times. We're getting caught up in the ways of life that are not good. Not good for culture and certainly not good for your followers. And we ask you to help us to proclaim you Lord of our lives and to surrender everything in our life to you. Whether it be our ability to use our talents to serve you, whether it is our finances to bless your ministry and kingdom, whether it is our time on a Sunday morning when we lift our voices and we worship you, King of kings and Lord of lords, no one and nothing is more important in our life when you are Lord. And we ask you to make this so among us. And we ask it in his precious name.